0: I'm Jeremy Goode, a senior environmental science and biology double major, and I'll be introducing our speaker, Dave Ostrigan. Um, he'll be sharing with us this morning about his vocational journey and his work at Mary Lee. Dave has a bachelor's degree in biology with a minor in chemistry, and a master's in outdoor education with a focus on special education from the University of Minnesota, a master's in political science and policy analysis and a doctorate in forest resources science and parks and tourism resources from West Virginia University, as well as teaching at Northern University or Northern Arizona University, as well as various other colleges and directing several outdoor education programs, Dave Ostrigan has also worked as a uh, forest policy uh, a forest policy uh, analyst. Uh, In uh, consultant in Siberia, Russia. Uh, He's even been to Antarctica. Um, He now directs the Environmental Education Master's program here at Goshen College, out at Mary Lee. And I think the biggest shame about that is that since he's working with the graduate students, he doesn't really teach any uh, undergraduate classes here. And so most students here don't really get to take classes with him. Uh, I was lucky enough, however, to take uh, the one credit Uh, natural resources policy seminar that he taught and uh, that has definitely been the best one credit class I've ever taken here at Goshen College. Um, I probably learned as much in that class as many three credit classes that I've taken Um, and I would really highly recommend that class if you ever have one credit left in your schedule that you can take sometime. even if you're not even interested in environmental science I would recommend that class uh, that you should really take it. So join me in welcoming Dave Ostrigan.
1: Good morning. Uh, that's Thank you very much for the introduction. Kind of tough to follow that, except when I turn to my left and my wife, my mother, and the president of the college are sitting over here. So the pressure's on. <laughs> All right. Good morning. Well, this is my journey uh, from wilderness into to Goshen College, and as Jeremy mentioned, I started. Uh, well, I started that journey like most of us, uh, 1957, and uh, most of us start at this point, and move quickly to uh, into where what I really like to do, and that's going to the wilderness. And the reason I'm going to talk about this, these pieces this morning and what this means is that as you go through life and you go through your journey, I can assure you that it's very hard to know exactly where you're going to be in 15, 20, or 30 years. It's the challenge of trying to find that thing that motivates you, that carries you through the day, that brings you where you want to be at least in the mid-50s, I can speak. And it's hard to know that. It's hard to predict that. It's hard to know what, what, what carries you, what, what, what makes you get up in the morning, what fires, fires you up to get going in the morning. And I've found that partially through the wilderness and wilderness activities, and I've also found that by ending out right here. So thank you very much for having me. This uh, indication, this was taken in about 1975, and this was a 42-day canoe trip in the Northwest Territories of Canada. It was before radios and cell phones and foam pads and nylon tents. It was before just about everything you associate with camping. And we uh, traveled, there were six of us, and we traveled, and it was the culmination of many years of training. Alright, many years of practice, many years of going outside. And the thing that this feeds inside of me, this quiet and solitude and wilderness, this is what I knew I needed to be a part of throughout all my life. So no matter where I went from that point, that was a piece of it, that was part of it. Well, I quickly uh, moved right into uh, another career choice of working in a camp. and. truly allowing your freedom of creation and expression, work with kids. Because kids or anybody that you can work with that also gets excited about the things that you like to do, that's a great source of inspiration as well. That was uh, northern Minnesota, that was one of my alternative persona for, for the kids. So from there I worked, I worked at several outdoor programs in northern Minnesota, at Bemidji State College, and the University of Minnesota Duluth, Brought people to the Grand Canyon, safely there and back for the most part, Uh, South Dakota, the Boundary Waters, and at each point, each of those stages as I grew and matured and assumed more job, or more job responsibility I guess, I kept coming back to both a combination of having somehow being connected to the environment or connected to nature and connected to education. So all these experiences, all these educations, all this outdoor education work, it was fun. Remember, there's no rule that says work can't be fun, right? Don't forget that, right? Don't forget that. But it also meant that I was combining education and getting outside. And so this is uh, um, a couple of the shots. There's a couple of uh, more opportunities. And then by now, fast-forwarding right into the 1990s, the next major step was uh, getting married. All right? And I was, uh, I, I guess I was too busy going out in the wilderness to think about that much in my 20s and 30s, but as I moved to West Virginia, still being outside was a par- part of that. And then Janine, I got married to Janine, and that was part of my voyage. It's a pretty big move, too, so think about it real carefully as you just make that step. <laughs> but the other part of this, the other part of this was at, I had moved to West Virginia University and I'd made the decision to get a PhD. And the PhD was after years of being an outdoor program director in northern Minnesota and Bemidji and Duluth, and again, I was still seeking, seeking something further, seeking something more. Where, where do I go? Where do I go from here? What, how, how do I make a difference? Is really the question I was asking. And this was also my first introduction to Mennonite, the Mennonite faith, and the Mennonite background. And so I married into being a Mennonite. And that's, that is, uh, well, significant. I came from a UCC background, United Church of Christ, and the social justice issues that are in the United Church of Christ were very consistent with Mennonite, the Mennonite faith, and then being a part of that and joining that and seeing what that meant has also influenced a lot of my life and my direction and why I'm here, but more of that in a moment. West Virginia, we're still, I'm still in West Virginia pursuing the PhD, but still managing to get out a bit. And these are from the 90's, right around that time, uh, 1990, uh, I guess before West Virginia, I got to Antarctica and also spent a lot of time rock climbing in places like California, and the desert southwest, that's that January period of time when you need to get a break. And then while I was at West Virginia University and getting my PhD and working as an associate professor, I kept interspacing it with these other activities, and these other activities kept cropping up. It wasn't something I could put in a box and say, okay, now I'm going to be a professor, I'm going to have a PhD, I'm going to do something different, and I'm going to put this part of me and put it in a box. What you are right now, what gives you energy, what gives you what refreshes your soul right now will go with you all through life. And this was part of what carried me and carries me here. So during that period, Malaysia, that was a course, a uh, 28-day course in Malaysia. Uh, on the right, we took a three-week tr- uh, course uh, to the Waiyawash in Peru. Uh, D- uh, Denali, 20, uh, climbing Mount McKinley, that was not a course. That, one's, uh, that was just kind of a side. Hobby, more of a hobby. But again, all these things, and there's something about being outside and being part of that that fed my curiosity and allowed me time to reflect, still influencing my direction. Well, this comes to about 1999, mid 1990s, and what my decision was as I got my PhD and I ended out in Russia on the for those of you, right, this is Russia. And uh, that first canoe trip, actually, just to give you an idea, that first canoe trip stretched this part of, uh, part of Canada, right up here, uh, back, way back in 1975. And then somehow, while I was spending all that time up in northern Canada, it influenced me and in my decision to go see what was happening over in Russia. So in 1991, the Soviet Union collapsed, and I thought, where are some other great big rivers and great big wilderness areas? Right? Russia. It's a logical choice. It's this, it's this feeling, uh, this continued pursuit of wild and wild places. So I, went to, so I started my work in 1993 in Russia, and then that was in West Virginia, and uh, I was married in 1995, as I mentioned. But that's all part of this process and all part of this journey. To this day, I continue to work right here in Kamchatka. My most recent, I was there just as recently as December, and that's a pretty wild place. Volcanoes, national parks, uh, long, takes multiple days, three, four days by horse pack just to get into some of the parks and preserves that I work in. And this feeds my professional goals, or my professional research side of me, while at the same time at Mary Lee, I get that chance to do education and occasionally get up here to be able to uh, work at the undergraduate level as well. So I've spent 15 years essentially in Russia, and uh, the first part of that was while I was at, in Northern Arizona, and Flagstaff, Arizona, and that work was, was uh, trying to be a professor. So at a classic university or a classic kind of uh, research, education, service combination which is a uh, slightly different emphasis than here at Goshen College where the focus is on you right and the focus is a little bit more on education and the college students while while professors still have a research agenda here they also they also focus much more on you and you benefit from that and I've seen that. But so I did the kind of the classic things that an associate professor would do. This was all at Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff. I had a joint appointment, different, different departments, political science and forestry. I was di- the director of uh, the Co- Colorado Plateau Cooperative Ecosystem Study Unit got grants, searched for grants, supported graduate students, wrote peer-reviewed journal articles, and did pretty much the standard thing. But I have to say, I have to say, there was still, it wasn't quite complete. Northern Arizona University has 17,000 students, 13,000 on campus. It's a very different feeling than here at Goshen College, I can tell you, very different feeling. And, and while I was going through this process of trying of searching for these different things and trying to be the person that you're supposed to be as an associate professor, it was still get out there with my kids in the Grand Canyon, get outside, make those kinds of connections, work with graduate students. That photo didn't turn out very well on the right-hand side. But again, trying to graduate, graduate students, trying to work with undergraduate students, and still Still, I felt like I was kind of in a system that was much more concerned with getting people through and kind of getting people out into the workforce. Well, fortunately, about that time, something was happening here at Mary Lee, and Luke Gosho and the folks down at Mary Lee were developing a graduate program, and they advertised that program just two or three years ago, and I saw that advertisement. My parents-in-laws were here in Goshen, and it seemed like everything was starting to point to here. It was another big step. And the biggest step and the biggest part of this and the biggest challenge of this was giving up what I knew. I mean, I could do the associate professor stuff. I could teach classes. I could write grants. I could struggle through peer-reviewed articles. And, by the way, writing is very hard for me. I'm really not a very good writer, so that was uh, uh, a constant challenge for me. But these forces seem to be converging from who knows where and saying, go to Goshen, go to Goshen. Right? And I had to say to myself and ask myself, well, why, why, am I, why would, what would prompt me professionally to go to Goshen? And it's pretty much easy to see in the core values here at Goshen. Thinking about being part of a group of people, part of an organization that places justice and peacemaking as right at the forefront, right at the forefront of what they do in their mission, having an international perspective of uh, being global citizens, thinking about these broad issues and broad areas and setting in that direction, I can assure you, it's a much more compelling, much more interesting, much more challenging and, while I was in Arizona, scary thing to, con- to contemplate than being an associate professor at Northern Arizona University. I was safe there. Coming here wasn't safe. Coming here has been very rewarding in many respects. And I get to talk about, in the next few minutes, I'm going to talk about the graduate program that I'm a part of, but the, one, the first part of this message, the first part of what I, need, of what I wanted to say to you how I got here was by taking that step and remembering those things that reward me and help motivate me and make me a full person. And that is, I'm closer to family, part, half of my family, well, I'm only five hours from my mom as well. Short drive up to Lacrosse. I'm part of an organization that puts extraordinary, I can tell you extraordinary values at the forefront. So when people talk to you about peace and justice and they talk about the core values of the Goshen College, It's no small thing. It's no small thing. So remember that. And incorporate that into the things that motivate you and get you to go through the day. Incorporate those things. So here I am at Goshen. I've made this wandering wilderness journey, and now I'm part of the Master of Arts in Environmental Education program. And so I'm going to take about 12 minutes here, 10 minutes here, and talk about this more specifically. But why do I do it? I do it for these guys. All right, this is our future. You know, in some sense, this is my children, uh, Charlie on the left and Sam on the right. That's really the biggest driving thing, to think about this and, and all the things that happen through this process. And what, again, what feeds me, and should reflect on what feeds you, But we'll take a little step and we'll take a little walk through the Masters of Education, uh, the Masters of, Master of Arts in Environmental Education. Sorry. I didn't give her much warning, by the way. Uh, So, it's located here at Mary Lee. I'm sure many of you have been to Mary Lee. And one of the shining lights of Mary Lee in our program is that we have an ecosystem laboratory. So the graduate program builds off the fact of where it is, where it's located. And it's in, at Mary Lee, in a, on a 1,200-acre lab. And that's where it starts. And here's the, uh, here's the aerial shot and the uh, borders, the boundaries of Mary Lee. And what, the first thing that strikes somebody, so if any of you know of anybody interested in a Master of Education down their career, or if you know of a sister or brother or uncle or cousin or somebody who's interested in this, take away some of these messages about what the Master of Education has to offer. And one of the things it has to offer is that we we address individual needs and individual interests. Okay? We are tapping in to that personal passion that drives people and motivates people to to pursue the Master of Education, to pursue higher education. We tap into that interest and and energy that carries people through the program. It's an 11-month program, and it's intense, very intense. Part of what carries people through is that they get to choose where they look closely, but they also learn a lot about Mary Lee entirely, and there's a lot of different ecosystems that are happening here on the Mary Lee campus, on the Mary Lee Center. There are wetlands, shorelines, riparian areas, swamps, swamplands, prairie, 20 acres uh, of prairie that are regularly burned and maintained, these fragments that are left of northern Indiana, these na- na- pieces of natural history that are there. And you can think that if you look in the upper right-hand piece where there are square outlines, significant portions, portions of Mary Lee were in corn 40 years ago. So think of that vision and what that means for people when they start planning these areas. This is an incredible resource. It's down near the uh, uh, major metropolis of Wolf Lake. Uh, And uh, just as kind of markers for some of you who have been to a couple of these different places, there's a learning center in Wreath Village. So there's a whole section of Mary Lee, I would assume that many of you have not had an opportunity to see. Here's some shots of some of the vegetation and some of the ecosystems there. I like to include at least one or two shots of winter, because for about four weeks there's winter on Mary Lee. I don't, you have probably noticed that here as well. The, uh, uh, again, forest on the left and on the right, and so there's pieces of Mary Lee that have never, or have never been in corn. And those are fun to explore and fun to look at. The other thing about the program, it's an 11 month, it's an intense program, but we also have very, very few people who are part of it. So this year, there are seven students, seven seven and one part-time person. And there's seven students, so we're looking for a group of six to eight students, six to nine students. This is different than typical graduate programs. So if you're thinking of graduate school out in your future and you're looking at different options, It's rare when you get the opportunity to think about one where four or five full-time faculty are working with six to nine students. And the thing that these students have in common is that they see environmental education as a process of change. An opportunity to change to work towards a better future. So throughout my life, what has motivated me in addition to education and being out in the natural world, it's thinking about protecting the natural world and protecting those things and making it a better future, making and caring for the environment. Well, that's what the graduate students have to share. These three students in the upper right were from last year's cohort. This is one of our teaching areas, the Learning Center. And part of the program all right, part of the advantages of being at Mary Lee is that you're studying at one of the region's premier environmental education centers. So there's 7,000 K-12 students come through Mary Lee every year. What kind of advantage is that, advantage to you? How does that feed into the broader system, or the broader, the broader mission, and the thing that attracted me to Mary Lee? Well, these 7,000 K-12 through 12 students are learning something about caring for the environment. They're learning something about making a connection to the environment. And the graduate students in the graduate program get to work with these students throughout the year. So the system is, we have, a cert- we have classes, we have structured classes, and then we have a practicum. And the practicum is working with these 7,000 students throughout the year. In the fall, we have autumn programs, we have working on the farm. In the winter, right now, the graduate students are out working, doing, making maple syrup, probably at this very minute, they're out uh, making maple syrup. And then in the springtime, they'll be working in the wetlands and in the, in the forest, in the spring forest. But this is a part of the program that's, that, that, that people find exciting, and also feeds into what I find interesting and find motivating. Students also get to work at times with undergraduate students, but this may be more of this picture that some of you have had, and you're fortunate that on the right, undergraduate students from Goshen College who get to use Mary Lee's facility, when they work in the wetlands, they get the waiters. The fifth graders, no waiters. <laughs> Right, just Bring a spare pair of tennis shoes and a plastic bag to carry carry your tennis shoes and pants home. And it's tentative, people just starting to get into it, and they get their feet a little bit wet, but generally by the end of it in the springtime, they're all wet, right? They're all wet. But the undergraduate students here in this photo are working both in the wetlands and in the prairies, and I might note that both these areas have been restored. So both of these areas looked very different 40 years ago. Bringing in the prairies on the, on the left, bringing in the prairies back into the system in Indiana is is pretty exciting, pretty important thing that Mary Lee does. And then breaking tiles and letting the water resettle on the land is also a change. Of course, we have uh, faculty, um, although Dave, Dave Miller in the upper left, he's uh, retiring. So, uh, but we have folks from biology, we have biology backgrounds, we have education backgrounds, educational leadership backgrounds, uh, Luke has uh, extensive experience in administration and leadership. He teaches that course, Paul Sturey teaches in issues, and his background is in outdoor, outdoor recreation, and he's very in tune and very active in the community on is- with issues. Lisa Zinn is working on her doctorate in education. She has great background in wetlands and uh, bird ecology. And and then you have me, for better or worse. And I'm the policy guy. There's also, down at Mary Lee, there's agroecology, and so I'll just make a quick mention of this. This is undergraduate opportunity if you're interested in some sort of community garden work. The agroecology program has a summer uh, nine credits intensive. You can live down at Wreath Village and work and pick up nine credits through agroecology. And you can also work on agroecology through the master's program. These are the courses that are offered through the, ma- through the graduate program. And I'd like to highlight how these lay out throughout the year, throughout your year. So the first three start in July. I mentioned it's an 11-month program. You start in July, and then you don't do anything except three graduate courses for the next two months of your life. And it's, it's grueling, it's almost like boot camp. Uh, you learn the natural history, so you learn every, as many plants, animals, birds, insects, amphibians as you possibly can in, uh, the, on the Mary Lee property. You learn about the basics and principles of environmental education, and you learn about research methods for informing environmental education and it's intense. It's, a, it's, it's very distinctive of this graduate program and something that attracted me to it was this whole concept of trying to pack the year, pack the education into one year and, it, and it, what it does is it forms a pretty tight cohort of people who learn how to, who work together as graduate students. But you can imagine some of the challenges that might be encountered in packing nine graduate courses into eight weeks instead of the usual 15 weeks. uh, Then there's a break for the practicum, and then in the wintertime we have two courses, and in the springtime there's one course. And the reason we ramp down the number of courses, because at the same time students are working on their project. And that project is individually structured and individually based. So that's, it's like a thesis, but not quite. Another facility we have is the Wreath Village, the platinum buildings here, and that can be part of your graduate work. I'm sure many of you have heard about this. This is uh, on the left, the two photos, some of the shots from this year's cohort who are working uh, down there this year. And on the right, last year's cohort. And I thought, well, that's quite a color, isn't it? Um, I thought that I would give you an idea of some of the projects that the graduate students are working on. So this gives you an idea of the diversity, right? And, and what we mean by feeding into per, people's personal passion and personal, personal um, uh, perspective on environmental education. Population decline in field sparrows and yellow warblers, okay? Classic, more of a bird study. We're a bird banding station. Second question, are, are, these are, each of these is a project that's being undertaken by a graduate student over the course of the year. Are religious leaders knowledgeable about environmental justice issues? And this is particularly in Gary, Indiana. So it's asking the question, what do people know, what do religious leaders, in, 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 in case in point, ministers and preachers know about environmental justice issues? And then, and then building a curriculum off that to hopefully inform them on those issues. What schools and programs have integrated green curriculum? Schools and programs all through the United States that have LEED Platinum, LEED certified Platinum buildings, and how have they integrated that sustainable curriculum into K-12 education? Creation care in the P- Episcopal Church. What, what status does creation care have in the Episcopal Church and or in churches in general? And this, and this uh, graduate student's looking at in particular at youth groups. And have they heard about creation care and how that taps into their vision? Interpretation of tall grass prairies. What's the state of the curriculum out there? So it's a wide range, really wide range of interests. Monitoring wetlands through citizen science. How can citizens be involved in caring for the environment? Doing research, collecting data, making those kinds of decisions, informing future decisions. And then finally, how, how does art and exhibits increased children's knowledge of uh, spring forest ecosystems. This is probably the biggest stretch. Uh, uh, This person has a background in art and museum history and uh, amazingly wants to go into environmental education, specifically applying that, and we took her on as a a, well personal challenge in, in some regards. Uh, because it's really stretching our ability to meet everybody's need. But again, you can see the variety. So don't lose, when, at, through these years, through these four years, don't lose touch of the thing that motivates you and brings you, carries you through the day, carries you through the courses, and remember that as you make all those future decisions. At that, I will be here afterwards uh, for questions if you have any, and I thank you very much for your time.